What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John Dostromsky. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome. It is the Friday edition of the Ringer NFL Show. As always, previewing the upcoming slate of NFL action. This is playoff time, baby. All right, this is real skin in the game. We just win or go home. If we're wrong, we just don't come back. Battle, no, they, they need the contract. If you pick a game wrong, you die. You get yeah, so we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be here for the whole playoffs. We're allowed to be wrong. That was Steven Ruiz. Kalen Jones, of course, joining me as well. I have been so like the usual host, got intro myself. We will start, however, uh, now with a preview. We do have uh, breaking news on the NFL coaching carousel, a little bit late to the jump. But uh, the Houston Texans, Ian Rappaport reports, uh, have officially fired Dave Coley after one year as their head coach. Uh, Tom Palacero says they owe David Coley another 17 million over the next three years as a one-year head coach who kind of like, you know, had a regular contract. He's going to get paid out for a while. So that's good for David Coley. I think we're all in general, like, I mean, kind of impressed with David Coley. I mean, he overachieved relative to my expectations. And then he's, he's out one year in Houston. feels like a kind of a, a good deal for Coley. Kalen, what do you think? On the whole, this is really weird, but I mean, truth be told, this is a mercenary coach for a mercenary team, you know, they're right. it's kind of a ragtag roster. And, you know, truth be told, we all were scratching our heads at the hiring of David Coley, which ended the way that honestly, and like you said, Ben, like they, he won four games. Like I, I, I was honestly impressed by the job they did. Not to say that was a good job, but I don't know what else you expected from David Coley. And, you know, I don't know whether he was fairly you know, fired, removed from his job or not, and whether a new person can instantly get Houston to whatever expectation Nick Casario has for that team. But yeah, I mean, it's not too surprising. It is surprising that it came this late in the week when Black Money was, you know, by now four days ago. Yeah, it's a mercenary coach from a mercenary team is a really good way to put it. Like David Culley was billed as a player's coach. And boy, the Texans brought in a lot of players because they kind of had to, you know what I mean? In terms of, of Nick Casario kind of had the shotgun approach to just throw free agents at every problem and kind of see who sticks, who's going to hang around. Right. And they, that, you know, work for them in, in some ways, right? Like Marcus Cannon's going to hang on this team. Christian Kirksey's going to hang on this team. Brandon Cook's certainly going to hang on this team. Like they got a good production out of enough guys to be like, all right, cool. David Coley helped, you know, I don't know, get those guys integrated, make those guys feel like they were part of a team, part of a culture, keep locker room, you know, with some cohesion. And apparently now Casario is going to kind of launch this thing into stage two, which is, find a coach, establish the philosophy and, and really start to like build this thing in the image they're looking for, which brings us of course to the, the Gerard Mayo report. Gerard Mayo, uh, who is the linebackers coach for the Patriots. He's interviewed for jobs before he's been rumored to be on, on, on head coaching shortlists. Uh, Schefter says is expected to emerge as a leading candidate for the Houston Texans head coaching job. Uh, Steven, no surprise to anybody, but it looks like Nick Casario is doing a Patriots South after all the Patriots Wests and Patriots Easts and Patriots Norths have all worked so well, uh, it looks like we're doing another uh, uh, Bill Belichick iteration there in Houston. Thoughts on a Patriots-oriented hire, whether Mayo, Josh McDaniels, Brian Flores, or otherwise in Houston? I mean, if they hire Flores, I'm not going to bash that hire. I would celebrate it and think it's a good one. I don't know about Mayo. It's always hard with these assistant coaches that we've never seen be head coaches before. And, like, nothing they do in their jobs as assistants like really applies to the head coaching job so it's always hard to say i it seems silly to try to recreate the patriots in in houston it's not like houston hasn't already tried to do that as a franchise with bill o'brien and that failed miserably i don't understand the idea of running it back but i don't understand a lot of the things houston does like going back a year we all thought that the Cully hire was a farce and they just confirmed it. Cause like you said, he exceeded expectations and it wasn't enough. If I'm a head coach and I'm like a candidate taking that job, I would be skeptical of this front office, not only how loyal they will be to you, but how long they're going to be in these jobs, the free agents that they got, they got a bunch of discount free agents. I think it worked out as a whole, but 
there's still no proof that this front office is capable of building an actual NFL roster. And after a year, I don't have any less faith, but I don't have any more faith in Jack Easterby and Casario figuring this out. That's the other thing, right? So you talk about like, oh, how is, is Casario affecting this? There's another guy affecting this. Right. He's just right. still there. Right. It's Jack right. Easterby who's just like, and the executive vice president of football operations based off of vibes alone. And the vibes are bad. It's not even like based off vibes. The vibes are good. Bad vibes for Jack Easterby. Uh, also, again, though, but he's a Patriots product, right? Like, it, this is very clearly like the Patriots worked. So let's do this in Houston. Despite like overwhelming evidence that it's really, really hard to just do that again. And that's why that's what's, what's frustrating is it's like there's no reason to try this again. They're really like, it, like even if you love Rod Mayo, you love Nick Casario. There's just no reason to try this again. And I, I don't see why you're trying to be the exception to what at this point is like a pretty solid rule, which is that for guys like Saban and Belichick, who are just so singularly good at the way they coach, replicating it is nigh on impossible. Right. And the key to the Patriots' success and their dynasty wasn't, I don't think it was like the organizational structure. I'm sure that helped. But it was we have the greatest defensive coach ever in maybe the history of sports. And we have the greatest quarterback ever. Unless you're going to be able to replicate that. And maybe Jack Easterby is behind the scenes doing spells and shit, trying to figure out how to clone Tom Brady. <laughs> but that's the only way you're replicating what the Patriots did. You're not replicating. That's fake. Like even the Chiefs had a down year this year during the regular season. And they have Patrick Mahomes right. and Andy Reid. So unless you're going to find a franchise quarterback and a future Hall of Fame coach, the Patriot method, I just don't see it working out. It never has and never will. You don't believe in five-star David Mills being the next Tom Brady? Uh, I, I was going to make the exact same joke. I was like, listen, they already have the quarterback handle. Young Davis Mills locked He's, in. He was sol- I mean, he was solid for what I expected from him. He, he definitely impressed me. But, yeah, you guys nailed it. Like, organizational top-down from McNair all the way down. You know, like this, this functional franchise. So, yeah, I, I don't know if you're a head coach why you're stepping in there unless you are good with Nick Casario, who was apparently in the headset of David Coley trying to call plays over the second half of the season, yeah. which is nuts. Yeah, Casario out here been like, yeah, just helping influence in the game. It's like, well, that you probably hired the wrong head coach there, Chief. Maybe you should get fired. Yeah, yeah. For your... <laughs> uh, right, so here's now one, another open job. There are now eight of 32 jobs open, kind of pro- prognosticating uh, Rich Passaccia there as the interim in, in Las Vegas. Uh, so fun NFL head coaching cycle. The last thing that we would be remiss if we did not mention is that uh, now at this point, there's one black head coach in the NFL. That's Mike Tomlin. Uh, Charles McDonald for the win uh, remarks that three of the last five one and done coaches are black. It is good when black coaches are hired. It is bad when that is a joke, right? Which was the case with David Culley here in Houston, where it's just do it so that we can get this done for a year and move forward. And so uh, an increased visibility on that issue remains a prerogative for every NFL head coaching cycle. Oh, it was good that 2021 had a lot of black hires. We're back on our same nonsense in 2022. Let's do that again. And let's actually give these guys a couple years, please. And thank you. Upcoming now, uh, our wildcard weekend preview, moving on from our head coaching conversation and into the upcoming slate of games. We do have six games on the docket. We're not going to do give me a reason, even though we can, if we want to, we just throw those those in there. Uh, We're not going to do games between games. It's just going to be a game of the week structure. We're going to kind of break it down as we usually do at the top of the show. All six of these upcoming matchups. Fellas, playoff prep. We can't be wrong anymore. The stakes are real. All picks have to be correct. All takes have to be accurate. How are we feeling? Well, I just saw uh, Kyle Shanahan walking around my apartment building, so I'm feeling pretty good. Yes, he is ready for the info. He is he he is here for game planning through with Steven Ruiz, who, by the way, uh, the the scheme piece that Steven just put up on the ringer, a very, very good piece in which he wrote about Kyle Fantastic. Shanahan's offense. Yeah. Everybody should go read and check it out. Yeah. You could do without it. No, you should you should read it. Shanny's coming for the notes. Kayla, what are you working on this week? I just did a post on, you know, the Buccaneers figuring out their injury problems. It wasn't nearly as Amazing as Steven's piece, man. Like, I, I spent all morning freaking out over that. You know, I used to read you guys real quick. Like, it's been a fun year. I got to geek out about the fact that I've been able to podcast with two of my favorite writers all season, man. Like, you guys, phenomenal shit. I've never podcasted with somebody with as such positive vibes as Kaylin, and it makes me mm-hmm. so extremely uncomfortable and also thankful, but also I hate it and I want to die. <laughs> I'm an asshole. I can be an asshole too. It's all good. <laughs> it's been an extremely fun show. And I, I, I feel like we've got a lot of good 
show gags and narratives coming up into the upcoming games. None better than uh, we're starting, Stephen, with Chiefs Steelers. Stephen, how do we feel about Ben Roethlisberger in the play? No, no, no. We're not going to do Ben Roethlisberger in the I was very confused. (laughs) That's for the end of the show. That's for uh, Give Me a Reason. No, we're not doing Give Me a Reason uh, because it's playoff games. You have to watch all of them. We're just going to pretty much walk through our games of the week, all six, in the usual context in which we do. We are, in fact, starting with Stephen, but that game is going to be Bills uh, Patriots. Stephen, this is a three-match can we do that? Is that a thing? Is that cute? Three match Bills Patriots. Uh, take it away. What are we expecting AFC wildcard weekend? We're expecting the Bills linebackers to play one yard off the line of scrimmage. I turned on the tape I, and I don't remember this. I watched the game live, the week 16 game I'm talking about, but I turned on the tape earlier this morning and rewatched it. It was amazing how the Bills linebackers were playing. It was like they didn't care about any, any passes. You could see it on the first snap, like the the linebackers are two yards off the line of scrimmage. They're already inching forward towards the snap as if it's going to be a run. And once they snap the ball, they just barrel downhill and go after the running back. Mm-hmm. And really, that was the theme of the game because the the Patriots are a running team first and foremost. And if you could stop their inside running game, their downhill physical run game, that really makes them do something they don't want to do. And their answer to that Bill strategy was to pitch the ball outside. They did have some success, but it's like that Belichick thing where – they make you play your plan B and you don't necessarily want to live in that world. And the Patriots had to do it. The Patriots offense having Mac and then having these receivers and like, obviously they, they bring in Kendrick Bourne and like Nelson Aguilar. And they try to get this thing done. We all, I feel like thought that, all right, with, with okay, we got Mac, we got the receivers. Great. But this is going to be a 12 personnel team and they're going to be heavy on the tight ends. And then it's going to be these deep play action shots because that's what they did for him at Alabama, right? That's what the, the approach was offensively. Meanwhile, the Patriots are like bottom four in the league in terms of multiple tight end sets. And when they pass, they spread to pass. And that's not how the team was built personnel wise. I think it's just kind of where they ended up, right? When you look and you uh, and you check out like Max stats across the course of the season, there's something that was cool given to us from uh, uh, Next Gen Stats. To start the year weeks one through four, he was 26th in league in passer rating, 26th in league in yards per attempt, 10th in the league in CPOE, 24th in success rate, whatever. Weeks 5 through 12, second in passer rating, second yards per attempt, fifth in CPOE, third in EPA per drop back. And then since week 13, he's right back down to where he was. And I think that really nicely models for the first quarter of the season. We're trying to figure out what to do with this guy. We thought this offense needed to be this way, and it's not working. For the middle of the season, we made changes. These changes are working. They're, 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 they're effective for our team where we've evolved, and defenses are catching up. And then you get to cold weather and the end of the season where the changes are evident. And all of a sudden, we're back down to where we were. And I think that's such a cool like bell curve, such a cool movement of, of this offense over time. Because not only the linebackers being up there, but just the corners just pressing the ever-living daylights out of guys like Jacoby and Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, who aren't top-tier receiver talent, to me indicates that Where the Patriots ended up schematically is not where they thought they'd end up personnel-wise, and so it's a little bit of a square peg round hole on offense for them. And they they really just didn't have an answer in the passing game to anything the Bills were doing. Like, they played man coverage, and Mac just had no success whatsoever. 16.7% completion percentage. 2.3 yards per attempt against man. And that's on 13 dropbacks. Against zone, he was a little bit better, but that, that's just because he was taking the underneath throws that the Bills were giving up anyway. They were just rallying and tackling. The Bills only missed one tackle in that game. It was a phenomenal performance by the defense tackling-wise. I think that was the biggest difference between this game and the wind game. And really for the Patriots' offense, at a certain point, it felt like they were back in that wind game. They couldn't really throw the ball unless it was third down, and that's when they had to throw the ball. And the run game was really all they had to move the ball down the field. So, I mean, I don't expect much to change. I don't know how it's going to change. I don't know what the, the Patriots can do offensively to unlock the Bills' defense if they can't beat man coverage. It might be have to be a game where the defense dominates, and I'm just not sure of that happening against Josh Allen. Real quick, like so that, that that's that second game. The first game, right. Bills-Patriots, feels like a total throwaway, right? Because, like, they played in a snow tempest. Cool. Well, we're looking at the weather forecast here for Orchard Park, and it's going to be like a degree outside. And it's not going to be windy, and it's not going to be snowing, which is nice, but it's going to be really cold. And you brought up the tackling. In terms of the weather, can we expect this game 
Kalen to be like somewhere between the two. If the Bills, who just objectively aren't the bigger team, they aren't the more physical team, like all that belongs to the Patriots. Are the Bills going to be dealing with like sub-zero temperatures and not not a desire to tackle freaking Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris and all these very large human beings? And could we see a repeat of game one because of the weather now in game three? Well, I mean, based on what Josh Allen said earlier, you know, on Thursday about uh, Bart or was it Bart Scott suggesting that, you know, Buffalo Bills players should take Viagra, make sure that they stay warm. I mean, they already have the secret weapon right there. Yes, that was decisively Bart Scott. We should make it very clear that <laughs> Bart Scott had this opinion. Yeah, Bart Scott had this. Sorry, sorry, Josh Allen. You're not taking it. I know Dawson Knox said he's not taking it either because it could show up on PEDs. <laughs> anyway, um, no, seriously, like I think you saw like in terms of mentality, like you mentioned how like whether the Bills are going to be prepared to tackle guys like Ramondre Stevenson, whether Damien Harris like pounding those guys over and over again between the tackles and even on the edges um, is sustainable. I, I think we saw a, like a surefire mentality and kind of in that second matchup, like we after that first game where the reporter weirdly asked Micah Hyde uh, and Jordan Poirier whether you know they felt like they were embarrassed. We saw them, that Bills defense come out in that second matchup and very clearly, you know, put their stamp on that game and make sure that, you know, that wouldn't be, it was a dumb question to begin with, but it wasn't even worth asking the second time around. And I don't see how in terms of mentality, especially considering how last year, how far they got and how close they came to reaching, you know, the Super Bowl, I don't see how they don't come in determined, ready to tackle and bring their hard hat on Sunday. And that's the thing is like, they might not be the biggest defense, but it's still a Sean McDermott defense. Like they're still like a nasty group. Yeah. And I think, Part of them playing their linebackers closer to the line of scrimmage in the second game was not asking their linebackers to take on big offensive linemen with a head of steam. Like they meet them at the line of scrimmage, so the line the blockers don't get ahead of steam. And I think that helped out a lot. The problem was the Patriots got outside the tackles a lot. They ran 18 times outside of the tackles, average 0.33 EPA per play, 50% success rate. When they try to run up the middle in between the tackles. Mm-hmm negative 0.06 EPA, 33% success rate. I think this is a situation where we see the Bills, you know, clog the middle again and force this to be a finesse running game rather than a downhill running game where the Patriots are winning in a phone booth. And I think that changes a lot because you get one tackle for loss on one of those pitch plays, and then all of a sudden Max in second and long, third and long, that's when the Bills win. I think Next Gen Stats also has it right. Ramondre Stevenson, the best running back in terms of success rate on runs outside of, of the tackle box, right? Big bowling ball son of a gun who can who can who can fly. You know what I mean? Like it's just not what you want to see. And that's it's a good reminder of of the ability to get corners and safeties involved in the running game. But also one of the things that I love about this Bills defensive line is how deep it is, how much it's rotating, and that gives you fresher legs, right? With every game the Bills play, their defensive line just gets a little bit more of an edge against the opposing offensive line. With every week of the season, every week of rehab and recovery and practice and all of the effort and the travel and everything, like this is just such a fresh group, and that was always the plan going in. And so I agree, you got to get the defensive line out of the running game and try to get these these corners and these safeties in the running game and just hopefully you, you don't suffer that TFL. Other side of the ball. Uh, honestly, this feels like the best time for a Josh Allen check-in. We did the whole season of like, Josh Allen is going to be regressed. Wow, like that was so incredible. Is, is he going to be the same? So he definitely regressed. But it also turns out he's still freaking nuts, right? And like this is how it's always going to be for the Bills. If you get the best Josh Allen, you'll never, ever lose. If you get the worst Josh Allen, you'll probably never, ever win. Usually you get something in the middle, and it's just a matter of riding out that roller coaster. And I think recently you've seen the Bills accept that, right? They live in five-man protection. They run so much scramble drill stuff. Allen's constantly holding on to the football. They let him run it, tuck and run now, design quarterback runs. Like He has become the whole offense, and you just kind of live and die with his talent. And I think you've seen him have that good game against the Patriots recently enough that you believe he's going to do it again. Yeah, and you watched the film of that second game, and they just didn't have an answer for Josh Allen because he was able to hold on to the ball. He was able to extend plays. Like, they played man, and he scrambled. They played zone, and he just manipulated the zones by getting outside of the pocket and forcing zone defenders to vacate their areas. I mean, I don't know what you do. Maybe you blitz the hell out of him, but that's something that defenses haven't done to Josh Allen. I don't know how viable that plan is, but they got to do something different. Like, over his career, he's, like, bad against the blitz. Right. But also, it's like... There's going to be three plays he gets that become 40-plus yard gains. And, you know, how are you willing to pay that cost? And that might be enough if the if it's a low-scoring environment. 
and you you watch like third down for the Bills defense. They're playing two man. They're bracketing inside receivers with those safeties. They're they're playing aggressive man coverage. You can't do that against Josh Allen. So Bill Belichick, who's known for playing man coverage and doubling the best receiver, he can't double Stephon Diggs because he needs a guy to spy on Josh Allen. So it's really hard for their defense. I'm not counting Belichick out. I'm sure he has something cooked up that's good, but it's going to be tough. And they need this defense to hold the Bills to under 20 points or I don't think it's going to be close. Yeah, I I have the Bills in this game. I said this on the gambling show. This is a sort of game where the first couple of drives matter a lot more to me than in in an average game, right? Bills build a lead. Good night. Uh, Patriots keep this thing close and can keep running it. Then all of a sudden, the, those body blows start to accumulate in this one degree weather, whatever it's going to be. And you start to think about, all right, the Bills can be able to do four quarters of this, right? Where the Patriots are able to continue to run it, continue to be physical. Like, is that is that going to be a model for them? So I like the Bills, but I do think that, right, if, they, if Patriots keep this thing low scoring and ugly, that's sort of game they can win. I think they can win. Me too. Like, I'm taking the Bills here. But I'm curious to see, like, again, like how Josh Allen is involved in the run game. I'm curious to see, like, whether or not, Devin Singletary can get going. Um, I know that the last two matchups that they've played, he hasn't been able to do much. But over the last few weeks, they've seemed like they've involved him a little bit more. He's getting, like, what, 20 carries a game. So we'll see whether or not they have to lean on him at all. But, again, like you said, Ben, if they get up early, it won't really matter. Steven, Bills? Yeah, I'm taking the Bills. Uh, I think they win. I think they score on offense. I don't think it looks like that first game because the win's not there. I'm saying, like, 27 to 13 Bills. I don't think it's competitive. I'm very interested to see what Mac looks like and what the Patriots do in the offseason to build around him. I think that's the, the most interesting narrative. I do think this is like a big Mac referendum game because in that second game, the Bills were basically daring him to make big boy throws, mm-hmm. outbreaking deep routes, and he just refused to make them. And then when he did make them, he was usually off. So this is a game where they're going to make him make difficult throws. If he makes them, the Patriots have a chance. Got it, Tyson. And it's, it's, it's cold, but it's no wind. And so there's no, no, you got to be able to cut the ball through this sort of weather. All right, second game. This is mine. Dallas uh, 49ers. I'm so, so, so very excited for this game because the team that wins, I will believe, can make the Super Bowl. It's just kind of figuring out who that's going to be and then seeing how they win and seeing what happens from there. The 49ers have had just an unbelievable finish to the season. Jimmy has had, once again, just a good year. Like, he's just – I said this to Steven earlier. It just pisses me off. He's, he's fifth highest uh, dropback success rate this season at 48.7%. He's the sixth highest at adjusted EPA per dropback this season at 0.216. You're like, wow. Those are really good numbers. Those are just his career numbers in the Shanahan offense. That's just what he, when he's healthy in this offense, is 2017, he is third in the league in adjusted EPA per dropback. It goes Mahomes, Breeze, Garoppolo. If, if all you had was RBSDM.com, you'd think those are the best three quarterbacks of the last five years of football. Because when he is in this offense and he is healthy and the pass catchers are healthy and they can run the football, it just looks so stinking good. And especially against a team like the Cowboys, and this is to me that this is the the fulcrum for this game. It is not a good matchup for Dallas. What does Dallas want to do? Firstly, Dallas wants to live in sub. Next gen stats has Dallas with five defensive backs on the field at seventy nine percent of their snaps. That's second most uh, in terms of base with only four DBs. They are last in the league. They have one percent of their defensive snaps with only four defensive backs on the field. So they want to be light. Tough to be light against the Niners. Niners run more 21 personnel. They run a lot of 12 personnel. They're going to put extra heavy bodies on the field. Jawan Jennings is going to be a receiver, but he blocks for them. They're going to put bodies up there. They're going to make you put corners and safeties in the box. They're going to run at you. It's not a good matchup. Then Cowboys want to play man. Well, the 49ers are better at generating yards after the catch than any single offense in the freaking league. Uh, they They have three of the top five players in yak over expectation next gen stats. On inbreakers in 2021, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle. Kittle leads the league in yak over ex- expectations since 2018. Second place is Debo Samuel. So you're going to play man coverage against the, against all this motion, right? Like fourth in the league in motion rate. You're going to run all across the formation. Then they're going to throw all these crosses. You're going to run with all the crossers. If you lose a step, you lose a step on Debo. Man coverage on a crosser. Curtains. There's no. You got nobody else is looking at him. Safety coming off the roof, going to tackle Debo with a head of steam with 12 yards? No, it's not happening. So this is just this is a this is not a good matchup for Dallas's defense. What's the recourse? The recourse is they're very high turnover generators, 
and Jimmy is a high interception player. But the problem is that if you go and you look at Jimmy's turnover worthy plays, Josh Cohen of, of CBS charted that, or, you know, put this on a graphic or whatever. They're all intermediate middle of the field. That's not where the Cowboys get their picks. Cowboys get their picks. Trayvon Diggs one-on-one outside get them downfield. This is not where the Niners throw the football. So you look at this thing on paper and it is really, really sketchy for Dallas. If they can't generate uh, picks and they can't generate pressure to generate turnovers, they're fifth in the league and blitz rate. Uh, this gets really weird in base defense on base downs. Niners to me have a very clear advantage. It doesn't sound like you're having a hard time picking this game, actually. <laughs> okay, well, the problem is, is that Dallas also is a very tough offense to bet against. It's just that Dallas's offense has been, what do we want to say, mercurial? Uh, yeah. Inexplicably yeah. poor in key situations. The kicking game isn't reliable. The coach choosing when to go for it and when to punt is also not reliable. <laughs> this is a, it, it is a good offense that seems to lose leverage on key downs, which has been really frustrating because they're a better offense than they see. It's just a matter of saying, when you look at this thing like on paper and on film, matchup wise, Cowboys really don't have a great answer for how the Niners run offense and the Niners are healthy and they've been kind of humming on, on offense. So it's, this can get high scoring shootouty very, very, very quickly. Yeah, though you don't want to be the uh, the active run to the ball, rally and tackle kind of defense against a Shanahan offense. I think that's a bad matchup just in general. And you look at the strength of the the Cowboys, and it's the defensive line and the pass rush. And I don't know if that matters against a, a Kyle Shanahan offense either, because it's not like he's asking Jimmy to drop back, take five and seven step drops, and, and read out the field. He's playing play action. He's getting them on the move. I think he's going to be able to mitigate whatever problems the Cowboys can present. Present, And really, for me, it comes down to what happens on the other side of the ball and whether Dak's on or not. This Niners pass rush can make it tough to be on. I mean, they are a big, explosive, aggressive group. Chris Kosurek, who's the defensive line coach for the Niners, uh, is a huge retention, right, from the Robert Saylor era. He stays there. He's with with uh, with D'Amico Ryan. He's done a great job with the secondary. And they have, you know, like Arden Key firing on all cylinders, man. I mean, they got D Ford looking like D Ford again. Like it is just some nice stuff that they're able to get with the deep front four and an aggressive, explosive front four. So let me ask you this then, Kalen, the faith that we potentially have in Dallas, what's like for you, the thing you circle? Is it Kellen Moore being able to be creative? Is it Dak being able to stay on? Is it the offensive line handling the defensive line? Is it this really bad corner room in San Francisco? Can we get a CD Lamb domination? Can we get an Amari Cooper domination game? What are we kind of identifying as that key matchup? Or if I tell you Cowboys win a shootout, you tell me this is why. Yeah, no, you, you hit on two of them. It's Dak playing at the level that he was playing at before he suffered that calf injury. And then again, like the receiver room, CD Lamb being a difference maker, Amari Cooper, you know, playing at a high level, you know, if he can stay focused, not, you know, have any significant drops. I, I don't see how, you know, the Cowboys at their peak can't hang with the 49ers regardless of, you know, how well the Niners offense plays clock control or dominates the line of scrimmage on the other side. I think, you know, what we saw from Dak Prescott early on in the season was MVP caliber play. Obviously, it's since tailed off. But like you said, if if Dak can stay on, then this could be a really fun game. Like this, this is why this is one of the more exciting games because it has the potential to be a, like a really fun shootout. Yeah, I am picking the 49ers to win this game. And a lot of people are, and they're underdogs. And that's usually a bad spot to be. And I get that, yada, 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 whatever. Uh, I think that Jimmy understands that he's kind of playing for his job, both in the for the 49ers sense and also in the can I go start somewhere else cough, Cleveland cough sense. Um, and, and I think that, Shanahan also is playing for it's not like his job, but it is the sense of like things got dark there in the middle of the season in terms of Shanahan's, you know, people talking about his record up against Mike Singletary and whatnot. Uh, it'd be nice to make another playoff run here and kind of reemphasize the point that, hey, when this thing works, it, it, it really works. Uh, so I, I do like the Niners to win. I do think it gets shootouty. Um, and I'm, I'm terrified of the Jimmy picks. But other than that, man, I'm telling you, these Niners are built pretty well for a playoff run. I'm going with the Cowboys just because. I picked them to go to the Super Bowl, and I need to pick them. I, I, I will say you made a convincing case, but Jimmy G is going to find a way to throw a pick. I don't care if the Cowboys don't get their picks in the middle of the field. Jimmy G will find a way to throw a pick in the middle of the field. He always does. We can count on that, him for that. I'm expecting a, Jimmy, a, a stinker for Jimmy, and I don't think we're going to see the idealized version of the 49ers offense, which I do agree is a problem for Dallas. Yeah. You know, Stephen just nailed it. Like, you're – 
you're basically betting that the Niners do everything right, which even last week against the Rams, we saw them, you know, they figured it out late, but they didn't run the football as as much as they probably should have. Jimmy G made some, like he, he had a great game like later on, but there were some questionable plays. And I don't know, man, if I'm expecting the Cowboys to play at the level they're capable of, I think they're not. They're going to make the fewer mistakes. So I'm taking the Cowboys. Also, can we just like discount the fact that Jimmy couldn't hold the football like a week ago? Like I know they played in a, in right. a game, and we tend to forget things like that. But he might still have a problem holding the football. No. If Jimmy T can't hold the football, that might be a problem. I agree. Listen, you've heard of playoff Lenny. Playoff, playoff Jimmy. Jimmy. <laughs> All right, lock it. Playoff. Is that Jimmy. supposed to be a good thing? <laughs> Protected football. Kalen. Uh, You've got the next one. This is, uh, oh, also NFC West, Cardinals versus the Rams. What do we like? I mean, we like everything about this matchup. It could be, you know, on the same level as uh, Cowboys Niners in terms of potential and fun. But the problem is, you know, both these teams, for all their star power, they really are capable of, like, self-imploding. I'm really curious to see, like, how the Cardinals deal without, you know, they've really struggled offensively without uh, DeAndre Hopkins passing the football. We know J.J. Watt is you know fighting for his life to get off ir with the shoulder injury um but i I think the key of this like comes down to the fact that james connor is a you know game time decision chase edmonds uh who said that he's playing early on thursday said that you know james connor probably ends up playing monday night but i think those are the two most important off that injury report because the rams have kind of had a hard time stopping the run uh i have like right here weeks one through 13 you know they gave up four yards or more per carry just four times and two of those were in weeks one through two and then since then, like weeks 14 through 18, they've given up four yards or more per carry in four of the last five games. And so I'm really concerned about, you know, the Rams run defense, especially the fact that they've lost Jordan Fuller, one of their key uh, starting safety members. Uh, we saw Nate Tice, I think from The Athletic earlier this week, point out that, you know, they, they really struggled defending the run horizontally. I know the Rams, or excuse me, the, the Cardinals are really good at getting north and south in terms of the run game. But uh, I'm just really concerned for how you know, the Cardinals could potentially gash the Rams with their running game. Because, I mean, Hopkins wasn't even uh, for – he was a big part of their passing game, but he never really statistically blew up, never had a receiving game over 100 yards this season. And while Kyler's stats have been pretty pedestrian, you know, since he's been out, um, so long as he doesn't turn the football over, it, this is going to be a really fun game. I Right. I find both these two teams extremely untrustworthy, and I'm terrified of both of them. <laughs> It can get really fun. I was thinking it like really pissed me off in terms of one of these offenses just being so dumb and not good for a dumb reason. Uh, Rams running defense. Steven, do we have a, do we have like a, that's the, that's the uh, symptom. What's the cause here? What do we think the problem is? Analyzing this Rams defense this year has been so weird just because you have a, a guy running someone else's defense from a different coaching tree. Yes. And I think that actually makes it harder to analyze them and like what they should be doing and why it's not working because I don't know if Raheem Morris knows why it's not working when it doesn't work. And there's, and I can't blame him for that. They're cosplaying. That's I've always that it is Raheem Morris cosplaying as Brandon Staley. So it's like, what are you, are you real? What is this? What do you actually do? I don't know. Like I watch the defense and I'm like, this looks familiar, but it's not like it just something's off about it. It's like, it's like a, a an alien movie where an alien takes over someone's body and you're like talking to the person. You're like, this is not this person. Right. This is an alien. And that's what the Rams defense is this year. I refuse to analyze it. I have no good answers for you. And I think that's a good reminder though, is it's, it's that, uh, it'd be very easy to say like, well, here's the button you should push, like, you know, hit this against the Rams. And then it'd be very easy to say, well, if the Rams want to fix that, then here's the uh, button to unpush. Here's the switch to flick. It's difficult to identify it. And that's one of the things that was so good about that Brandon Staley defense was their ability to take the B minus players and, and kind of the, the parts of the roster that Les Snead hadn't really prioritized and still hide these players, maximize these players, get something out of them. They just knew the buttons push. They knew they knew how to get the the, the blood from the stone, as you will. Uh, that's really something that Reem Morris doesn't have, is that kind of like fine-tuned adjustment. Uh, speaking of adjustments, this Stafford offense for the Rams is something that has been growing, and it's been developing, and it's been an interesting talking point, and it's been hotly debated as to how good it was and how not good it was and where it finishes EPA compared to Jared Goff, whatever. We've reached playoff time. This was all, this was the point. The point was we make the playoffs. We do that with Jared Goff, but that's not good enough. It's not good enough. We need to win a playoff game. We need to be able to make playoff runs with Stafford's arm talent. 
the Rams have been a little bit run heavy down the stretch. Kalen, do we expect that? Like they want that balanced offense. They want to make that adjustment. They want to be that team. Or is this going to be, hey, why'd we go and get the Ferrari? to run him in January, and we're going to let Matt Stafford chuck this thing around the yard. What are you expecting balance-wise from this offense? No, I wouldn't be shocked at all if you know, McVay's trying to hop in Ferrari right now. Because look, at when, when you look at the Cardinals' defense right now, cornerback two is still a question mark. I like Marco Wilson's potential, but you know, right now, especially being banged up um, coming into this week, I'm curious to see like whether or not you know the Rams are going to be able to focus you know the passing game a little bit more downfield, just as they were in that second matchup. We saw uh, Van Jefferson break out for a long uh, touchdown grab. We saw Van, excuse me, Odell Beckham probably had his best game as a Ram in, in that primetime matchup the second time that they played. So I, I think the concern is Stafford himself. I mean, we, we talked about last week. Now he's at three straight games with at least two picks. Um, but so long as he isn't putting the football in jeopardy, I have a hard time seeing them lose. But with Stafford, unfortunately, like there is that question mark despite, you know, all of, you know, his surroundings being pretty good when it comes to being a quarterback i mean he's got everything around him that you'd want i didn't have a problem with his two interceptions in the uh, the 49ers game i thought they were just missed throws like and he barely right. missed them and they were deep throws and the margin for error is off when you're throwing deep as long as he's not throwing into coverage i'm fine with matthew stafford like just don't throw into coverage don't throw that pick six you threw against baltimore but here's the thing steven guess what matt does <laughs> three times a game for no freaking reason yeah that's he a good throws point. Into coverage. Yeah, tendency man i think this is a big jj watt game and i think a lot of this comes down to whether it's competitive or not comes down to how well jj watt can play and if he can play at all i think they need a second pass rusher to to get after matthew stafford stopping the run hasn't been a problem in both matchups they've been able to stop the run both times they've held the rams to negative epa on the ground in both games. The difference between the first game and the second game was Matthew Stafford made throws in the second game and the first game he missed throws and he missed throws because he was under pressure a lot. I'm interested to see how, if Watt plays, how well he can play. And I really think that's the difference because not only will he be able to provide pressure if healthy, he can blow up plays in the backfield and get the Rams into third and long. And then maybe we do see Matthew Stafford force some balls into coverage, but I have no faith in the Cardinals on the other side of the ball without Hopkins. Like I said, I don't know what the Rams defense is. I don't know what this Cardinals offense is supposed to be without DeAndre Hopkins. It doesn't make any sense. And this matchup becomes a lot more complicated because you don't just put Jalen Ramsey on DeAndre Hopkins. And now, like, I don't even know what to expect when these when this defense goes up against this offense. The Hopkins loss is difficult to to walk through. I think that Kayla did a good job, like, saying, like, it definitely matters, but also how much? Uh, the Edmonds and James Conner back in the backfield together thing also is that way for me just in the opposite direction where it's like that definitely helps because they can run the ball in a lot of different ways running game gets a very very high variable against a suspect rams run defense we have both those backs you have the quick check downs all that's great does it matter enough and that's where like again the the inconsistency here from both teams is frustrating i think the one thing i believe in is stafford cup beckham van jefferson against man coverage and against a team that that lives and dies in man coverage it just hasn't been playing as good of man coverage. Lost Robert Alford. To me, that that's that's what I trust in this game. So for that reason, I take Rams. But also, if I could pass, I would I would pass on this game entirely. Same. I'm taking the Rams just because I trust their offense more, and I don't trust the Cardinals' defense as much because it has been a boomer bust defense all year. Same same goes with the offense, and I'll take the team that even though it hasn't been consistent this year, it's been more consistent than the the Cardinals. Yep, totally agree, Kyler. Weeks one through three in terms of EPA, CPOE, composite, and RBSDM. First in that category, weeks 14 through 18, since Hopkins has been out, he's 21st. I'm going with the Rams. Uh, the Cardinals are going to win. Just, I, I think we all accept that now. Uh, this is a chaos game. I'm excited for it. Those are our big three. We're going to be quicker through the next three. Uh, I have the first one. That's the Eagles against the Bucks. Uh, listen, it's a very simple game. The Bucks run defense isn't that good anymore, and the Eagles run the ball really well. Go Birds. Uh, no, the Bucks' run defense is 13th in EPA per play allowed since week 12. This isn't the same run defense as it always been. They've obviously dealt with injury, um, but they still are dealing with injury. And the potential miss for Levante David in this game, who they're hoping to get back, but it's not guaranteed, is really, really big. Because as, we, as we've seen in David's absence, these linebackers are attackable when Levante David is not in the field. And the Eagles are really, really good at getting linebackers in conflict because they can put multiple guys in the backfield, because they can put multiple tight ends in the field. They don't really like to throw over the middle of the field 
which makes it a little bit tricky. Right? You can sit in zones on them and then dare Jalen Hurts to make Devin White wrong. And just the Eagles don't like giving Jalen that responsibility right now. So that sort of a dynamic is really important. The Eagles got to find ways to feel comfortable throwing middle of the field, throwing RPO, throwing play action into that intermediate hole, which they haven't really liked to do all season. But in general, they should be able to manipulate linebackers. They should be able to get their runs on third and short, third and medium, be able to convert their fourth downs and string together some really long drives. That's all great. The bad news is that the Eagles have not beaten a team this year with a winning record. And they're playing zone defense against Tom Brady. You just, you got to be, you got to be perfect on offense is the long and the short of this game for Philadelphia. You got to be seven points every time and long drives every time. Keep Brady on the bench. Because when he's out there, I really, I just do not care who his receivers are. I don't see this back seven and this defensive structure causing, like, you could poke Tom Brady's eye out before the game. He'd throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns against this defense. Uh, to me, it's, it's not much of a, a uh, uh, an obstacle. So Eagles have that window. They have that, that script that works for them, but it's a narrow road to walk. And I, I think the Bucks just take control across the course of the game. Yeah, like I, I wanted to pick the Eagles in this game because of that matchup of the run game versus the Bucks struggling run defense. But then you think about the other side of the ball, and the, they just don't have a margin for error on offense. One or two bad drives, and it might be over. And like you said, they're going to play zone defense, and that mitigates the concerns we might have about the Bucks receiving core now that they've lost Godwin and they've lost A.B., when you're going up against a zone defense, it's really the quarterback that has to win. When you're going up against a man defense, then your receivers become way more important. I don't think it's going to hurt them in this game. So I'm picking the Bucks right. as much as I want to pick the Eagles. Exactly. I, I just think they're going to score too many points. I do think it's closer than people might expect because I do think the Eagles will be able to move the ball. But in the end, Tom Brady will be too much. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I, I do think the Eagles, what is it, eight-point spread? I think they can cover an eight-point spread. Yeah, eight and a half. Eight I think they can half. cover that. Yeah, great for a teaser leg. Just, just you know, just in case anyone's wondering. Again, like you guys said, like you're are basically betting to you know not make a mistake against Tom Brady, which, regardless of who's out there, especially like thank you, Stephen, like for example, explaining zone versus man coverage, basically for me, like I think that that's literally the difference. You're asking a robot to make the right decisions, and the robot's going to make the right decision. The zone man <laughs> difference is huge because also you get like the eyes on the quarterback. We talked about this a lot. It's just if you uh, if you are in zone against Brady, he's going to dice you up. If you're in zone against a guy like Jalen Hurts, he's going to sit and wait and ask you what, what you should do. And that's the thing is you can play you can play zones against shaky quarterbacks and guys who are top processors. You cannot do it against Tom Brady. You can't try this. Don't. It's not going to go well, man. Um, but I'm not sure if they, have a, if they have a recourse. No. Tom Brady had no problem dicing up the Legion of Booms right. defense in the, in the Super Bowl without a strong receiving core. I don't think... <laughs> The Eagles' secondary is going to pose a threat. Listen, Avante Maddox, baby. All right, his 28-and-a-half-inch arms. We're going to get this thing done. All right, uh, Steven, you are our penultimate game. This is Raiders at Bengals, which has been a really fun game to watch covered uh, because everybody is positive that they know what the key matchup is. And very rare for NFL media. They're all actually probably right in this instance. Right. It's whether the Bengals can protect Joe Burrow. I mean, that's oh, I feel like that's the case every week the Bengals play. And I went back and watched the game, and it was a Gus Bradley game. Like, he played a lot of a lot of cover three, as you would expect. He played some quarters. That's his version of mixing it up, is playing spot drop quarters. And it kind of worked. Like, I really think the Gus Bradley defense is probably outdated at this point, and you probably shouldn't run it against the best offenses, like the Chiefs, as we've seen this year. But it works against the Bengals because they don't give up those deep perimeter shots. They didn't give up a pass over 15 yards against the Bengals, which is crazy when you've seen this offense go up against every other team and just kill them through the air. And one of the big reasons why you don't get those downfield shots is because these two pass rushers don't give you time to get those passes off. Whenever Burrow tried to throw it deep to Jamar Chase, Max Crosby was beating Riley Reef and he was at the quarterback and hitting him. So he was underthrowing the pass. I think the game comes down to whether Joe Burrow takes those shots this time and whether his receivers can win those jump ball battles and whether they are, they're even jump ball battles at all because the, the Raiders are going to bail. They're going to bail out and not let you throw those passes over their head. I don't know if it works. I really I, I want to pick the Raiders so bad. I'm going to pick the Bengals because I don't want to look like an idiot and I don't trust Derek Carr in the playoffs. But all I'm saying is this is a good matchup on that side of the ball, and I don't expect the Bengals' hot streak on offense to continue. I love the fact that uh, Steven says I don't trust Derek Carr in the playoffs. Uh, let's go through our uh, let's go through our Derek Carr career playoff stats. 
None. Right, because he doesn't win big games. He led the Raiders there. He got them there. He just wasn't able to get there. Right. You know, himself. It was like Moses to the promised land. I'm just not like, oh, I don't trust him in the playoffs. We don't even know it. Derek Carr playoff playoff Carr could be the best quarterback you've ever seen. You'd have no god dang idea. <laughs> well, no, I'm not. I'm not one of these people that think that quarterbacks just magically switch it on in the playoffs. I think there's a different style of play in the playoffs. I think cornerbacks are allowed to be a little more physical and be tighter to routes. And Derek Carr is not a guy who throws right. into tight windows. He's uh, he's gonna check the ball down a bunch. And I I think the Bengals defense has a massive advantage in this game. And I really think it's gonna be the unit that wins them the game. Carr also is bad in cold weather games as well, which again is not the biggest sample. He doesn't play too much in the cold weather because of the aforementioned lack of playoff games. But yes, I, I agree. I think the Bengals defense is being underappreciated in terms of they're not the best unit. They're not the biggest namiest unit, but they can hang. And they, this is an 18 game season. We know for a fact now that they can hang. They can generate pressure of their own. It's not like the Raiders offensive line is that good. The thing that it boils down to for me is if you're the Bengals and you're watching back that Raiders game and you're seeing the points that you brought up, Steve, which is they didn't get those downfield completions. They weren't able to get those one-on-one shots on the outside because of the pressure, because of the inability to let those routes develop. I mean, legitimately, like, is the answer just throw them sooner? Like, choose right now. Ball is snapped, three-step up to T. Higgins, right? We're throwing back shoulders so the cows come home. Because you can, I think you can do that, and it's legitimate, earnest, actual strategy that applies in this context i think if they're going to do that they have to do it on early downs and zach taylor needs to stop with this this sean mcveigh style offense that he keeps trying to employ all season long like let joe burrow be a drop back passer from down number one don't wait till third down don't wait till second and long because that's when the pass rush can pin its ears back and really get after him the reason why i think this gus bradley defense is a really good matchup for them is because zach taylor insists on doing his sean mcveigh stuff doing the runs, doing the screen passes that never seem to work. And I think if you force the Bengals to go on long drives, and that's what they did in the first game, eventually Zach Taylor is going to shoot himself in the foot and kill a drive with his play calling. Listen, Zach Taylor's going to win a playoff game, Steven. I need you to get, I need you to emotionally get ready for that. You picked the Raiders. I know I picked the Raiders. Uh, I do think the Raiders win. I think the defensive line matters enough. And honestly, I trust playoff Derek Carr. I think he's had a decade to think about it. And I think he's, he's, He's going to actually show up to the building. I also think Darren Waller's second week back is going to be a lot better and a lot more impactful than Darren Waller first week back. He won't have to deal with Derwin James. Yeah, always nice when you go from playing against Derwin James to playing against literally anybody but Derwin James. Always a big boost. Uh, Caleb, where are you at on this one? I'm taking the Bengals as well. I think Joe Burrow shows up. I mean, you know, I know we just said guys turning it up for the playoffs doesn't matter, but, you know, Joe Burrow has the it factor. I don't know what it is, but he finds a way in big games. Oh, oh. He's just a winner. He's just, that's just Burrow. He's just a winner. He is. I'm done betting against him. I publicly betted against him on SiriusXM when he was like a, or when he was at LSU. And I'm never publicly saying anything wrong about him ever again, ever. <laughs> Do you know when he wasn't a winner, when he played Justin Herbert earlier this year? <laughs> okay, relax. The, the analyst in me sees the Bengals running an offense that only works if Joe Burrow is like Peyton Manning. And it's like, come on. The romantic in me is like, how cool would it be if, if, through whatever, like the forge of fire of just making him play in this offense and making him run the whole thing and just live out of empty and always be right. Like, what if it does actually make him into like that caliber of a guy? Like, that's really fun. And he's such a cool guy to root for. So I would love to see the Burrow playoff win. I'm, I am rooting for a Bengals playoff win because I think making the Bengals like a serious franchise is a fun thing. But also, I, 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 I know who the Bengals are and I know what they're about. And accordingly, I'm picking the Raiders. Our final game on the docket which gets, like, I don't know, a minute of our time, <laughs> is Chiefs Steelers. Kalen, what are we looking for in this game between two just titans of AFC football? And I know quotes get pulled out of context all the time, but Ben Roethlisberger saying, quote, we don't have a chance, so let's just go in and play and have fun. I mean, basically conceding that the Chiefs are going to win that game. Um, In the first matchup, I, I think this is what it comes down to. Like, the Chiefs, as they built their lead, they didn't have to blitz you know, basically at all, the only blitz Roethlisberger seven times, pressured him on only 13% of his snaps. They didn't get to him once, and they still shut the Steelers' offense out for three quarters, and who probably should have had a field goal, and that was really it. So I really think it comes down to, you know, how well the Chiefs' defense plays, and which isn't really asking much. I think the Chiefs' like offense has an identity now. They're figuring out essentially that they can move the ball methodically, 
balancing out between their running game and their passing game, using a lot of those RPOs to get the ball into the flat in the passing game and just taking what the defense gives them. I think they've accepted the reality. And I think that, you know, that 30 point showcase earlier in the season a few weeks ago was you know, a perfect example and a template for what they can do moving forward. And not to mention that was without Travis Kelsey on the field. So I think this is going to be a really comfortable win for the Chiefs. Steven, I tell you the Steelers beat the Chiefs. How did it happen? Uh, Patrick Mahomes dies. Uh, ben Roethlisberger takes a bunch of steroids. <laughs> I don't think steroids work that quickly. The refs like just are totally bribed and paid off and, and, and pulling for the Steelers. And then I think it gets to overtime and then we'll see what happens. Chad Henney versus uh, Ben Roethlisberger, just the, the geriatric quarterback. Off. Chad Henney's the second best quarterback in this game. Let's, let's be, let's be serious. It is tough to, to write that, that eventuality for the Steelers, which is a shame, but throw a bunch of pressure, throw some exotic blitzes. Hope you get some turnovers. Live, live, live to see this TJ Watt was banged up in the yeah. first game. That's like the one thing you can hold on to as a Steelers fan is he had cracked ribs and, and he only played like 19 snaps or something like that and or 19 yeah. pass rush snaps. And maybe he'll play more pass rush snaps this time around and maybe he'll have an impact. But even that. I think they can generate pressure and I think they can generate turnovers. I also think there is no lead. Like we used to say this about the Chiefs a lot. There is no lead in the fourth quarter. Steelers versus Chiefs. Where I'd be like, ah. Chiefs are in trouble. Like, you know, down 20. Like, yeah, we're going to be, we're, we're probably going to be okay. Here's my question. How, how many points do the Steelers need to hold the Chiefs to for this Three. to be competitive? Like 13, 16. <laughs> right, 13, 16, 17. Three. <laughs> well, well, we'll check back in with the Chiefs in the divisional round a little bit more in depth. As it is, that is us uh, for the Wild Card Weekend preview show. So thank you, as always, uh, Stephen and Kalen, for joining me. We hope to get all six games right, even though we like, pick different teams. Don't worry, it'll happen. Uh, We will be back, as per usual, next week and every ensuing week for the playoffs, talking through the upcoming games. We'll have fewer games, and so we'll have uh, deeper and and more in-depth content as we go along. Thank you, as always, to our good friend Christopher Sutton for his production help and for Arjuna Ramble for his additional production supervision. We are back, same time, same place, next week. Next week.